Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Onyx. So today I want to talk a little bit about Onyx and something that uh, you should definitely be doing periodically with your Onyx waypoints. So if you're you're going out either you know you're e-scouting or if you're in the field and you're marking waypoints and you get a whole catalog you know, of waypoints there, that information is critical and very important that you don't want to lose that information. So periodically, if you go in and back up those files, so all the waypoints, then it's a good way of kind of having some, you know, insurance on all the hard work that you've done, you know, leading up to that point. So if you're on the Onyx, if you're using it online, so using the Hunt app online on the website, you go in and under your content files where you have all your waypoints, uh, check the the files that you're looking at. Say you want to back up, you put a little check mark next to them and hit export. And I usually save these files to both my computer and also like Google Drive or something else as a secondary backup. What, what I like to do is I categorize them. For example, I have like 2018 whitetail waypoints. So I'll go through and do that. Then I'll do the same thing for 2019 and then a separate one for elk hunting. And I'll back up those files so that you have those just in case anything were to happen. I mean, it is technology and those things you know can happen. Another good thing for that is it'll save some space. Say you, you're not looking at, you don't want to see any of the whitetail stuff right now. You're focused on elk hunting and your phone only has certain storage. You can delete those waypoints right off your phone, save that space and speed up the app a little bit, and then pull them, put them back on by importing those files, you know, once the season comes in. So that's just kind of a, you know, a little tip, something I'm using on X to uh, do and keep everything organized and backed up. If you want to check out the Hunt app, you can use the code EMW at checkout and save yourself 20% off the app. Check out onxmaps.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Maven Optics. So Maven has come out with the highest quality optics available at half the price of their competitors to their direct-to-consumer business model. With uh, the best in in-house customer service team available they'll help you through any questions that you might have any warranty issues things like that are all covered and taken care of with their customer service team so if you want to check out maven optics you can customize a whole bunch of their b-series line and or you know pick up some stop op- stock optics that are delivered right to your door in a matter of few days online at mavenbuilt.com. Use the code eastmeetswest-gift at checkout. And lastly, the University of Elk Hunting. So Corey Jacobson and Elk 101 have put together the most fully comprehensive elk hunting learning course available from beginning to end, whether you're a beginner or you've been elk hunting for years. There's a ton of information in here that can be extremely valuable for you and really just helping reduce that elk hunting learning curve. 
make that make those dreams your reality to, to actually fulfill you know a tag and and have that trip of a lifetime so also I wanted to bring up that Corey and Elk 101 are going on or actually in process right now of Destination Elk V2 so it's their second version their second year of going through day by day video series on YouTube to be able to help everyone just as far as like with what they're doing each day on the elk hunt and some of the reasons for their decisions they're making just a lot of valuable information which that'll drop this november so keep an eye out for that if you're interested in the elk 101 university of elk hunting you can save 20 percent by using the code east meets west at checkout all right so we got a podcast here today with Andy May, and Andy is an incredible whitetail hunter. I mean, this guy just gets it done no matter where he goes. And a lot of you know, a lot of the things that you see in common with these people that consistently get it done on these you know do-it-yourself, highly pressured areas is they're able to execute the shot when they get those opportunities especially if you only have a few days of hunt like andy does most of the time you know being a school teacher so this you know we really dive into you know making that shot count and you know a little bit about you know my experience with target panic that you know a lot of you probably heard about already in which i feel very confident going into you know, this year for elk hunting and deer hunting with my shot now. So there's a lot of really good information here that uh, no matter what time of year can be implemented in there. And in addition, we have to talk about whitetails a little bit. And, and Andy and I definitely get into, you know, what he's doing depending on the time of year to consistently fill these tags. And, you know, speaking of whitetails, this this past weekend here over Labor Day, I got to go out and do some more scouting, throw some trail cameras up to, you know, leave while, while I'm out in Idaho, let them do some work for me. And it's, it's looking good. Some of these areas I'm going into, uh, it's not completely saturated with acorns, which is actually a pretty good thing. There's uh, a lot of the red oaks are dropping already here. It seems like, which is, kind of early so that'll be interested to see how that you know that plays out but i got some cameras set up for for that looking really looking forward to this this season and seeing you know one what's going to show up in some of these new areas on trail camera and more importantly how the hunt is is going to go i'll be i'll be hunting you know all through october november after work and whenever i can weekends whenever i get some time but i do have a a special hunt planned the first week in november from the 4th through the 9th with uh, chris derrick from sick of gear will be coming to pennsylvania to hunt some of these mountain bucks with me and do some product testing and and things along those lines so there's it's going to be a really fun year and you know, I've been focused a lot on, you know, elk hunting and this, I'm really, you know, pumped to head out next Friday on that trip, but, uh, whitetails are still on my mind and my cameras, I'm not going to share any of these photos, but, uh, they're definitely blowing up with some giants this year. So I'm, I'm excited to see how, 
how that's all going to, you know, pan out coming into this 2019 season. And just the last thing I wanted to note, uh, if you're looking to order any of the East meets West apparel online on the website, any orders over $30, I'm throwing in a free koozie with it. You can check uh, all the hats and shirts out as well as the new line now jean bottles that I have on there. Completely leak proof, drop proof containers that are just awesome for, you know, either mixing up, you know, some of the mountain ops supplements or just drinking water out of whatever it is. It's, uh, it's really good. Really. The bottles turned out great, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So check all that stuff out online. And if you get the order in here in the next week, I'll get it shipped out right away. Once I'm on the, the elk hunting trip, there's going to be a little bit of delay in orders there. But uh, so go over to the website and check that out at eastmeetswesthunt.com slash shop. All right, let's uh, jump right into this podcast here with Andy May. All right, we're live. Andy May, what's going on, man? Not much, Bo. How are you, buddy? Yeah, I can't complain. And as I always start out by saying what the weather's like, and it's pretty nice out today in Pennsylvania, so I can't can't complain at all. Yeah, same same here. Hot and sunny, and uh, the rain's subsided a little bit. And uh, trying to get some uh, some good scouting in over the next couple of weeks. It's crazy. I don't know if it's like this around you. We'll be, I'm in an area that has a decent amount of ag land, but I mean, I would say, I would say, eighty to ninety percent of the fields around here did not get planted this year, which is, uh, you know, n- nothing I've ever witnessed. So it'll be a, you know, kind of different come hunting season. Yeah, it's it's funny you say that because I was at an event um, recently. Uh, BHA's muster in the mountains and there were some people that came from Michigan and they said driving all the way through Ohio and Pennsylvania and everything else and they, they said you could count on one hand how many fields were planted that you could see you know it was it was crazy yeah it's uh it's pretty wild and I'm sure it's rough on uh, a lot of those farmers and it's going to definitely impact you know some of my hunting areas um you know, for the good or the bad, I think, you know, maybe a couple spots, it might even be beneficial because I'm going to be able to narrow down where those, where those deer are uh, feeding a little easier, you know? Yeah, no, that's, that's true. But, um, it's, like I said, it's just, it's just wild that, uh, I, I feel bad for the farmers themselves. Cause you know, when the guy I was talking to last night on the podcast, he was like, he's like, yeah, you know, I started by kind of, you know, bitching about you know my food plots and then he goes then i'm like wait you know this is for a hobby of mine and there's guys and girls that are you know doing it for a living with farming and that's just that's terrible yeah i can't i can't imagine that stress you know it's like probably you know it could be a a full year of income that they may not be getting and i don't know hopefully some of them got some crops in and some insurance that helps out with that but i don't really know how that all works yeah, no, I I have no idea. But with you were just saying like how you're out scouting a little bit today and everything. So what do you what's your scouting look like at this time of the year? Which at the time of recording this is the end of June, you know, middle of summer here. Yeah, well, I try to do the meat of my scouting, um, you know, uh, postseason. You know, mainly 
right around the time that snow melts. That's my favorite time. And that's probably where I get my most effective, uh, time of scouting in and I hit it hard then. Um, but it always seems like I don't get quite the amount in that I, that I would like to. Um, so today I was, you know, hitting some areas that I hadn't, um, you know, in the spring and, um, you know, just looking for the, the usual, um, you know, looking for some old, you know, maybe some rut sign and, and some bedding and, and that, that kind of thing. But it's, it's just so hard this time of year, especially with the amount of moisture we've had, everything's so thick. So I also, uh, I stopped by, um, there's a couple, uh, properties around here in Southern Michigan that I have like knock on door permission to hunt. And, uh, um, you know, a couple of those spots are, you know, I'll go in and, you know, do some trimming on some of the tree stands and stuff like that. And, you know, just, just kind of some of that stuff. But, um, yeah, it's, it's not my, uh, my favorite time of the year <laughs> to be out there, but, um, you know, it's, well, I'll take it when I can get it, you know, nowadays I'm so busy. Yeah, no, that's, that's true. I, I, the summer is definitely the least favorite for me too. I hate, I, I can't say I hate being out there during it, but I, I dislike it. You know, I like it less than any of the other times as far as it's just so thick, you can't see anything. And, and a lot, of, you can see some of the sign, but a lot of it's, you know, kind of covered up with the foliage and, and the grass is growing and, and, uh, just, uh, once it gets into even towards the end of summer, I, I dislike it even more because of all the spider webs. I do not like spiders. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, at least at least towards the end of summer, you know, I get into some velvet bucks and stuff. I start hitting it hard then again, but yeah, this time of year, you know, it, you just starting to antlers are starting to just branch out. You don't really know what you're looking at. Um, you know, the bugs are bad and it's usually a time where I kind of prioritize, you know, uh, family time. And, and obviously, you know, I shoot a lot, so I prioritize my archery practice and all that kind of thing. But yeah, I gotcha. So yep. I, I guess, um, Andy, t- before we get too far into it here, let's uh, give a little background to yourself and um, kind of, you know, what we're going to be talking about here. Okay. Um so, uh, I've been hunting since 18. Um, I started a little later than, uh, most guys actually, um, got into archery first and, um, you know, in, in loved archery, did quite well, um, you know, competitively just kind of local stuff. And, and then just the natural transition was into bow hunting. And, um, it was kind of one of those deals. I guess I have, uh, the, the more I learn about myself, I, I have a, a bit of a obsessive personality, but it's only about certain things, you know, and, uh, and it's usually things that I'm passionate about. And I, it, it didn't take long, you know, that first season and I was just hooked with bow hunting and, uh, you know, it's pretty much been my, my main thing, um, you know, that I focus on, um, you know, outside of family and, and, uh, you know, a couple other things that are, you know, more important, but, it's been the main thing that I've focused on since I was 18 and, um, you know, it's just gotten worse and worse every year. And, um, you know, just a regular guy, I, I hunt, you know, DIY style, you know, I hunt a lot of public land. I hunt some, uh, knock on door permission type stuff in Michigan. Um, I've traveled, you know, all over the Midwest. I've went, um, just the last few years started going out West, um, uh, chasing antelope, mule deer, that sort of thing. So I'm loving that. 
Um, yeah, man, I don't know. Just, uh, love bow hunting and always trying to, to get better. And I think, uh, one of the reasons, you know, you wanted me on here was to, to, to discuss my, uh, my journey with target panic, <laughs> yes. which, uh, you know, <laughs> I never wanted to bring up again in my life, but you're, I guess you're going to make me do that. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it's funny. Cause like you, um, you had reached out to me, you emailed me and we're like, cause you saw on social media, I was struggling fo- through it and you're like, Hey man, like, let, let me, you know, I have some resources out there. might be able to help you out. And I'd love to, you know, talk to you and help you. And I, just, I was all about it. I was, I really appreciated, you know, any help that's, <laughs> that some, if someone got through it, I want to hear what, how, and, uh, that, that's, was really important. And it was funny because I had listened to you actually on, on, uh, the wire to hunt po- podcast with Mark Kenyon in the past and, you know, read your, uh, your profile on his the Wired to Hunt website and everything else. So I was familiar with you and some of your hunting style and everything. And it had started watching those Target Panic videos on YouTube when you reached out to me. So it was just, it was really uh, kind of ironic. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I went through the same thing um, that you're probably going through and, uh, you know, I did the same exact thing, um, as you are. I reached out to people that, um, you know, knew more about, um, archery than I did. And, um, it was, uh, I was lucky enough to have, you know, a a couple of guys, um, you know, really take the time to, you know, talk to me about it and explain things in a way that I could understand and help me. And, it was kind of funny too, like, um, you know, I had it right when, uh, that, you know, John Dudley's knock on podcast started. In fact, I was in the heat of target panic and <laughs> I think he was, he was on episode two. So I, I started listening to that. He was, he was a big help. Um, I reached out to, uh, a couple pro shooters and, you know, none of them got back to me except one guy and it was, uh, chance Bobath. And, um, if I ever get a chance to thank him, you know, I'm, I'm going to do it. But he, I mean, he was messaging me back and forth and took the time and he went through it. And, and then just some random guy on archery talk that was a competitive shooter and he wasn't a pro, but he was, you know, a high level shooter and just took the time to, to help me out. So I don't know, I've never, never forgot that. And I've always kind of had a soft spot for, you know, when I see guys going through that, because it made bow hunting, um, really hard and, uh, less enjoyable. And I started to lose my love of archery. And, uh, that was a hard pill to swallow because I, uh, that was one of my favorite things to do is shoot my bow aside from bow hunting is, is just to shoot my bow. And I was just having a really hard time and, um, you know, was, was really starting to dislike it. So, I'm I'm thankful for those guys, uh, you know, for their help. And if I can help anybody else with it, you know, I'll try. Yeah, no, that's, that's much appreciated. And that's, that is cool that, that he got back to you there to, you know, help out because, you know, whether that gets lost in emails or however that, that works or just, you know, being busy or, or whatever, it's just, it's really helpful when you have people like that, that have been through it, that can help you out. Like I said, you know, you, you reached out to me and I've had some others, a, a good, a buddy of mine, Clint Casper, uh, did some coaching and stuff, and he helped me a ton. Uh, Greg Litzinger, uh, 
Brady Miller, a few other people, and just a long list of people that have really helped me out with it and, you know, shot me messages on short tips and things like that. And that's awesome about, uh, I, I guess, the, the world that we have with social media and stuff. It's a little bit easy, easier to uh, get in touch with people, you know, that may be going through the same thing. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I had, you know, arguably the, the top archer in the world, you know, <laughs> yeah. message, messaging me, you know, privately and, and, and listening to my issues and, and really taking them to heart and giving me solid advice. I mean, that, that was it was pretty awesome. Yeah. And, and the one thing you just said there a couple minutes ago about, uh, you know, it wasn't fun for you to shoot your bow anymore. And that's kind of the point where I was at when, I don't know, a month and a half ago. And it's coming a long way. I'm feeling a lot better, a lot more confident, but I, I wouldn't say I'm there yet. And uh-huh. uh, that it just, I hated it. Like I'd, I'd pick up my bow and it felt like it was a chore to go outside and shoot because I was struggling so bad and I was in my own head. Um, it, it just was a you know a terrible thing. And, and anybody that's experienced it, they know exactly, you know, what we're talking about. Oh yeah. So I, I was curious, um, what, how did it come on or how did it start for you? Did you, uh, you know, did you start trying to shoot longer range and, and did that bring it on? Um, that's, that was common. That's kind of what happened with me. Um, I was just curious how, what, what kind of exacerbated the issue? So mine, I I've had it, I think for, uh, I don't know, three years or so. And mm-hmm. I just was able to kind of put it off or, you know, just, I don't know, work around it and basically put band-aids on the problem. But where I have the problem is I get stuck in the six o'clock syndrome where I'm held low. And it's when I'm focusing on a small dot like that, I just, on like, especially on like a block target, if I'm shooting a 3D target or anything along those lines, I'm way better with it. And I can, my brain allows my pin to, you know, kind of sit there and float a little bit. But when there's a dot, for some reason, it would just get in my head. And, and this year, so I normally, I shoot all winter long and, and had done that because I worked in an archery shop and had that availability. And when I moved recently and just just basically just got busy with a whole bunch of other things and, and I didn't shoot all winter after probably January when hunting season ended, I didn't shoot anymore until I pulled it out in April. And I just, right from the beginning, I was just messed up in the head with it and Mm -hmm. and uh that's that's kind of where that's kind of where it started there yeah yeah so with me um same type of deal i was a command style shooter which i'm which i'm sure you know if you got target panic that's you were too yep (laughs) um so um and i you know i hunted for a lot of years uh gosh 14 well yeah, about 14 years command style and uh, was always probably struggling with a little bit of it. Um, the more I shot, the worse it got. But like like you said, I, I could still shoot really good. I was a really good shooter, but I was streaky. Um, I would, you know, one day I, it's like I couldn't miss, you know, I'd be stacking them all in there. And then the next day I'd feel like... Um, you know, a little jumpy. I always, I always call it, I feel just feel a little jumpy and it was me, you know, experiencing, you know, anticipating the release and, and, uh, trying to time the release. And, um, 
it got worse for me when I started shooting at longer distances because when you scoop back to, to longer distances, your, your pin um, looks like it's moving so much more because your target is so much smaller, mm-hmm. you know, and then in, in, and, you know, in archery, the way, you know, 99% of the, the archers, you know, when they go to an archery shop for the first time to get their first bow, you know, the, the archery shop gives them a bow, they get them, a, you know, a true fire release off the, off the rack. And they say, you know, they get them all fit and they say, you know, pull the bow back, you know, put the pin on the, on the dot and squeeze the trigger. You know, that's what they tell everybody. Yep. Um, at least that's what they used to do. And, um, you know, so that's what I did. That's what I thought was the right way to shoot. And, uh, you know, most of the people out there think that that's the right way to shoot. And, um, so that's what I did. And, and, and when, um, that pin movement, you know, at, at longer distances, was appeared to be so dramatic i was having um anxiety about missing the target and missing um you know missing the spot so you know i was aiming at this dot or at a 3d target or whatever and and my pins dancing all over the place and i'm like oh my gosh how am i gonna even hit my spot you know when it's moving that much so i started timing the release as it crossed over the spot as uh, as the pin uh, you know would would cross over the spot, I'd slap the trigger, yep. and it just made sense to me because you know the only way I can hit that spot is if I hit that trigger, the instant it's on the bullseye, right? At least that's what I that's what I thought in my head, and that was the start of some really uh, down a, a real dark road of uh, target panic for me because that's the exact opposite of what uh, you need to be thinking about when you're shooting. And I didn't know that at the time. And the worse it got, I'm the type, you know, when I make a mistake, whether it's in the field or miss an animal or whatever it is, I obsess about it and I will do whatever it takes, uh, for however long it takes to fix it and to, um, you know, to make sure that doesn't happen again. So I just tried harder and harder and harder to hold that pin perfectly still and to time that release and to stack those arrows at 80 yards. And it just got worse and worse and worse to the point where I couldn't even put the pin on the spot at all. I was holding low like you are. Mm-hmm. And then I was just jerking my arm up yep, and slapping you know, it. <laughs> and, and slapping the trigger. And then it got, it got so bad from there that I couldn't even, I couldn't even put the pin on like the, the second it touched like Brown on a 3d target, I mean, I was sending it. <laughs> um, and, and, and I've, I've told this to Mark and he gets a kick out of it, but you know, I, it was so bad. I was in my garage and I was like, okay, I, I, I have no control over what I'm doing right now, but I'm, you know, I'm mentally stronger than this. And I, I went into my garage and it got so bad. I couldn't even draw my bow back hardly without slapping it. And I drew back and I aimed at my garage window and I said, I'm going to put my finger on this trigger and I'm not going to shoot it. And I sent one right through that window. <laughs> I'm not, jo- not joking. Sent one right through the window and I was like, okay, I got a problem here. <laughs> yeah. This is, this is way more serious. And, and that's when <laughs> I was like, that's when I started reaching out. That, I, that's all I did. Reaching out to those other guys and, um, you know, it didn't take long. Um, I think because I was so obsessed with it and I was working so hard, I identified it quickly 
and then I got on top of it quickly. And within a, you know, within two or three weeks, I was completely, um, that my, my thought on my shot process was completely different. Um, I learned the correct way to shoot. And then I just, um, I just did the work, um, in abundance you know, over a short period of time to kind of, um, ingrain that, um, that shot execution and that, that way of, uh, thinking about your shot into my brain so that this old way that I was taught and that I had done, you know, since I was 18 was completely erased, completely forgotten and, and has never resurfaced. Isn't that, it's, it's so tough though, when you learn, especially at a young age, you know, that, that way of shooting. And yeah. I, I mean, I remember I, I started shooting a bow when I was like, eight years old or so something like that i remember going to the little junior 3d shoots and stuff and and i've always shot with a trigger and the way that i was that i shot with it is just you know squeezing that trigger which and once it you know i developed what i you know considered target panic it came to the point where i was just like doing exactly what you said i'd get it there and just let it rip and and you know might uh, be describing it a little bit exaggerated at times, but that's basically what it was. And there'd be some days when I could make that work and I'd shoot great. And I felt like I was on top of the world. Then there's other days where I just, I couldn't hit the broadside of a barn with it. You know, I just, I would completely jerk just like three feet off. It was terrible. Yeah. And, yeah. and that was just, it just was, abs- I just don't even know. I hope, you know, no one has to go through that. <laughs> Right. And then, and then the, the, you know, the downside of that with bow hunting is that it tends to resurface under high pressure situations. And I, uh, you know, I did really well bow hunting with killing deer, um, just, you know, in spite of all this up to that point, um, even though, you know, I was still timing the release and drive by shooting, you know, on deer, I was still getting it done you know, at a fairly good rate. Uh, when I look back, you know, at my, my kills and my shot, you know, shot opportunities, I was killing about, you know, 75% of the deer that I shot at, which isn't great, but not terrible. And, um, but out of that 75, at least 25% of those were bad shots, like gut shots, you know, gut shots that shouldn't be gut shots. Um, you know, but I was still able to recover the animal. So my, the performance on animals was definitely not what I wanted. Um, and then, you know, that year that it got really bad, um, that was the worst year of hunting of my life. As far as, uh, you know, shots on animals, I actually, I actually got on several big deer that year and, um, I killed a couple, but I wounded one, I missed two and it was, um, you know, just complete, like you said, jerking and missing by three feet, not just, you know, not just shooting over the back. Like, yeah. you know, the deer dropped. It was, it was literally me jerking my arm to the point where I was missing by feet. Yeah. So it's, and, yeah. and that's like, so just to kind of touch on that a little bit, that's where I noticed like that I had issues with that myself. I'd have these opportunities. I remember when I was I guess it probably started with this stuff a lot longer than I thought just from the way I shot, you know, by basically punching the trigger my whole life. 
everyone used to, in as far as locally, would be like, man, you have the most opportunities I've ever seen for a young kid on deer and you screw most of them up. And I would from shooting, like I would just either completely miss them, make a bad shot. And sometimes I would recover them and I'm not, you know, I'm not proud of that, but it's, it is what it is. That's what yeah. happened. And, and I, you know, I, I'd, I'd practice all summer and I felt good. And then sometimes I'd get into that, into that, you know, buck fever type moment when everything just, when you need to keep everything together and you can't. And I just, would punch that trigger and just completely black out you yeah know, for lack yeah. of better terms <laughs> yeah yep and i went through the same thing but luckily it was only that bad the one season you know yeah and then it really i mean i, I was dealing with it up until that point but you know i was still relatively having you know good success although i wasn't satisfied with you know 75 percent of you know my shot opportunities converting at all but I was having some success, but that, that year in particular was really bad. And that was really hard for me to deal with. And, um, you know, that's kind of when I reached out and, and got the correct information. And then I did the work that kind of sent me down the correct path. Yeah. So, I mean, how long ago was this that you kind of realized this and went, ended up fixing it? Gosh, it was, it was right in that 2013, 2012, 13, right, right in there. Um, that's when it kind of, you know, that's when it got, that's when it was at its worst. And so, I mean, just briefly kind of go through some of the, some of the main things that you think helped by changing your shot process. Yeah. So for me, um, it was actually what really helped me were, were was just a few key phrases or, or, or a, few, a few key words that some of these guys told me. And it, it pointed out, it made me realize that I was completely um, looking at my shot process wrong. It was completely wrong. It was backwards. So um, one of the guys, uh, he told me, you know, what he said was he described as, you know, it, it simply does not matter what your pin is doing. Okay. That's complete opposite of what I thought. I thought it definitely matters what my pin is doing. <laughs> yeah. You know, if my, if my pin isn't on the bullseye, it's not going to hit the bullseye. So I had to accept, you know, I had to accept that I was doing it wrong and commit to, to, you know, learn the correct way. And what he told me was it simply does not matter what your pin is doing. And he, he described it as this. He said, your brain your brain has a, like a, a, a pre-downloaded app from Google that whatever you stare at, that pin constantly recenters itself and comes back to that point. Okay. Mm-hmm. So he said, he said, everybody has a moving pin. Even the top archers in the world, their pin moves. Now there's moves less than, you know, your average guy, but it still moves. And as long as you're looking at that spot, that pin is constantly coming back. And if your shot, if your shot breaks anywhere in that time frame when your pin is floating around that target, it's going to hit the mark. Okay. Now you might not, you know, hit the, the, the 12 ring every time, but you're going to hit the 10 or you're, you know, you're going to hit, you're going to, your group size is going to be much tighter than when you are trying to time the release and, and do the drive by shooting. Mm-hmm. So, 
that was the first thing. And, uh, the second thing he told me, he goes, if you're, if you're starting your shot process, which means, you know, for me, it was squeezing the trigger. If you're starting it and then stopping it and then starting it and stopping it, if, if you're going back and forth in your shot process, that's bad. That's not the way it should be happening. Once you start your shot process, it continues to run until it's finished, no matter what your pin's doing. Okay. Yep. So, you. so, you know, it, it, it kind of shifts that, uh, from like a command style timing, the release type shot execution to an unanticipated, uh, shot execution where you allow your pin to move. You don't try to control your pin. You let it move. You let it float, float, because if it's floating, that's good. That means you're not controlling it. You're actually not trying to hold it. You're just letting it float. And if you're letting it float and you're staring at your spot, it's constantly coming back to center. Okay. So that was the first step. I just needed to accept that pin float. And then I needed to be able to just run my shot execution smoothly from start to finish without starting, stopping, starting, stopping. And the way I did that, um, was I shot, I started shooting with like a back tension pull through method. Okay. So I completely eliminated the process of squeezing the trigger. What I did was I loaded the trigger. Uh, well, first of all, I got a quality release. We can get into that. I was using a junk release, but I, I, I would preload the trigger with my finger and let the pin float on the spot. Just let it float. And then when I was ready, when I wanted the shot to go off, I started my shot execution, which consisted of building pressure with my back muscles and my rhomboids pulling straight back. And basically I use a thumb, a thumb release, but I can do this with any release, but basically I'm dragging my finger into the trigger as opposed to squeezing my finger into the trigger. I'm actually building pressure, building pressure, building pressure until it breaks clean. And that, that, that's the big thing that you got to accept is you're, you're letting that pin move. You're letting that pin float and you're running your shot execution separate from that. And as long as that shot, that shot execution runs smooth from start to finish, once it starts, it's going to go, it's going, you're not going to stop and it's going to go in a short window and it's going to be unanticipated. You're not going to know exactly when it's going to go off, but it's going to go right where you're staring because your pin is constantly coming back to center. So for me, it was just accepting that it was kind of the, almost the opposite of what I was taught and what most people yeah. are taught. And then, uh, then it was just, you know, up to me to do the work of drilling, um, drilling that shot execution into my brain so that it was all I knew. Um, and I, like I said, I, I spent a couple weeks, but I, I probably shot, man, I don't know, a, a couple thousand shots, you know, um, it, it, with blind bailing and I was doing these aiming drills that were recommended to me and I, and I just did the work and it, I, I got on top of it really quickly and I've never looked back, man. It's just, it's just been solidified in my subconscious ever since. And, um, you know, I started loving archery again, my accuracy and consistency, uh, just got so much better. Um, especially my consistency. I went from being a streaky shooter where I could shoot lights out one day, uh, decent the next day. And then the next day I was, you know, I had target panic and I was like kind of all over the place. And then I'd have to quit early because I knew, you know, I was in trouble. 
well now it's like I shoot lights out or, you know, if I'm not on top of, you know, you know, on my A game, I'm just shooting pretty damn good. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there, there's no, there's no bad days. There's no even mediocre days. It's just always really solid. Damn. And, and that's, you know, not trying, that's not me being arrogant or anything. It's just, it's just, it just really has, uh, helped me to the point where that's kind of how I feel, you know, I'm able to, to shoot and perform regularly using this, you know, this type of shot method. So I have a few questions and, and comments with that. So when you're saying about letting your pin float, are you doing anything specific like a circle or a figure eight or what, or is there any, any sort of method to your madness there? No. So if, if you're trying to, if you're trying to do something, that means you're controlling the pin. Okay. So all you need to do, all you need to really think about is what helped me in the beginning was I told myself, let go of the pin, let it go. And then all of a sudden this pin that was kind of dancing around because I was constantly trying to move it and control it. All of a sudden it started, it stopped moving so quickly and so dramatically. And it kind of just sat there and it was moving, but it was like a slow kind of flow coming back. You know, it'd go up a little down a little left, but it was always just kind of right there. And by me, you know, telling myself, let it go. You know, I relaxed my shoulders, I relaxed my bow hand and tried to, you know, uh, eliminate like all the muscle involvement of, of me trying to control the pin and just, I just let it be, just let it do what it wanted to do. And, you know, that's, that's one of the things that I think, you know, a lot of guys that are trying to beat target panic might miss that, that key part of just letting go of your pin. You, you don't want to control it. It's the opposite of what you, you think you should be doing. Yeah, no, that, want- that's so tough. Like, I mean, for me personally, in my head to let that happen, and and I can tell when I'm really like focusing on the pin and not letting it float because my left shoulder will start to tense tense up and go up towards my neck, and it starts getting sore right there. And then that's when yeah. I know that I'm not relaxed and I'm I'm trying so hard to hold that pin steady. And that was that was like one of the biggest things was trying to learn to let it float and i'm still in the process of it like i yesterday i felt absolutely great like i i was smiling when i was walking back to the house with my bow because i was doing that and the other thing was also not the start and stop so i i tell myself in my head i just repeat pull 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 at a steady i have to say that in my head and that helps me be able to pull through it and as i'm saying it all of a sudden it breaks and that's such a good feeling. I never understood it until I've been starting to experience that part of it. Yeah, it's the best feeling in the world when you <laughs> achieve like a, a true, unanticipated surprise surprise release. It's it's a great feeling because you're just you're you're letting the bow shoot. You're not shooting the bow. You're just letting it shoot. You're 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 just letting your uh, staring at your spot, letting that bow just kind of you know recenter itself that pin recenter itself and you're just applying pressure until that bow just fires you know what i mean and and i think if we can just accept the fact that you know the more we uh, you know the more we try to impart you know uh like muscle involvement and control over this uh you know over this bow this basically this machine the less accurate we're going to be the bow the bow is accurate we just got to let it shoot 
So it, it, one of the things that really helped me with just accepting pin float because I couldn't before, you know, before when I had target panic, you know, anytime that would float off the target, I'd try to bring it back and slap the trigger. Um, I started doing these, just these aiming drills and, you know, I would just draw back and what I say, what I, this is what I told Mark Kenyon too. I said, just splash that pin right on the spot. Don't, don't bring it up from the bottom. Don't bring it in from the side or the, or the top splash it. As soon as you get to anchor, just splash it right in the middle of that spot or right in that, you know, that vital of the, of the 3d target. And then immediately, you know, when, when you come to anchor, touch your nose to the string, align your peep and your sight housing, and then load that trigger up with your finger. And, and hopefully you got a, a good quality release now, but you load that trigger up and it's not going to go off. And, you just let your pin float and you're in control. You do not have to release that arrow. Okay. And you just let it float, let it float, let it float for 20 seconds, 30 seconds, 45 seconds, whatever, until your shot starts to deteriorate and then take your finger off the trigger, let it down. And you just, I did this hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of time because I had to drill into myself that just because I draw back, and my pin, you know, hits that deer's vitals. I don't, I don't have to release that arrow. I'm in control. That's this, this bow isn't in control of me. I'm in control. Okay. I say when it starts, I say when the shot's going to go. And, and I had to, I literally had to beat that into my head because I, I wasn't in control for so long. And that drill, uh, really, really helped me just the aiming drill. And I did that for a couple of weeks without even releasing an arrow. And that was huge. Have you been doing that? Yeah, so it's it's been what I've been doing is at the well for a month straight, all I did was shoot at basically blank bail, I mean right up against the target, and just practice learning how to actually use back tension because I, you know, as many times as I thought I might have been doing that, I hundred percent wasn't, and yep. and it took me a while to learn that, and I went through John Dudley's school of knock his YouTube series and just practiced on the steps that. He was telling there, making sure I started from ground zero, basically reteaching myself how to shoot. And so I started with that. And then I started with, before I started actually shooting at say 20 yards, I would go back to 20 yards and that's what I'd do. I would hold up and, and aim as for as long as I possibly could. And then I just let up and do that. And, and I, so now even at the end, now I'm actually shooting, I still haven't went past 20 yards yet. I'm just, you know, making sure that I'm, I'm good doing that. And at the end of every, every kind of say I'm done, almost done shooting for the day, I'll do that aiming drill again where I won't shoot or I'll draw back and let it float as long as possible until I'm, you know, almost basically shaken with it. And then I'll walk back up to the target and shoot three arrows at, you know, blank, just, just right up against the target just to get that as I'm done for the day, get those really good releases and just practice on, on doing that. So that's what I've been doing up to this point. Yeah. And I did the same thing. I did the aiming drills in conjunction with the close range blind bailing where I, you know, took the side off my bow. I got it five yards. I put a bag target right in my, my living room and hundreds of them at night i put my daughter down for bed and i would just slam that bad target over and over and over that's what i was 
that was the advice I was given. And that's what I did. And I, I did it to the point of nauseam. And I think that's why I overcame it so quickly. Um, because I just, I just beat that into my subconscious where it became, it just became what I did. It just became, this is the way I shoot my bow now. And I told myself never ever again, am I going to, you know, move my thumb during a shot. I'm just not going to do it. This is the way I shoot. Um, and you know, I've never, I've never fallen back into it since that time. Um, and, and another thing I did is I, I bought a, I actually bought a hinge and that was that, I think that helped me. That made things easier because you can't really, you can't really punch a hinge. I mean, you can make it go, uh, fast and, and time it, but by eliminating the, the trigger mechanism in the release, it kind of just, it basically just cut off that avenue for me. And all I could really do is just wait on the hinge to go. Um, so that, that was a, a big one too, that I think, you know, helped me kind of get through it so quickly. Um, yeah. but what, what, what type of release are you using or what'd you switch to? I, I switched to a back tension. It's a true ball. I can't remember the exact one, but it has a safety on it and sweet spot, the sweet spot. That's it. Yeah. So I switched to one of those. Um, I borrowed one, um, from someone at first to try it out and, and I liked it. I'd never shot any sort of back tension or hinge release in my life before. And I shoot a thumb button. Normally, I have a Scott Sigma that I use. And uh, so I switched to that. And that's all I've been shooting with. So I guess the, the question I was going to ask you is, how how are you setting that tension on there? Um, whether that's with your thumb button or with you know a, a back tension release. Are you setting it where it's heavy, it's tough to go through? Or are you setting it kind of hot? Or is so, that, that matter yeah. on this uh, on hunting versus target? Yeah. So when I was when I was going through these drills initially, I sent it. I set it really heavy um, because I really wanted to emphasize that pull through motion. And one of the one of the um, characteristics of releases that tend to cause target panic is a really light trigger, and the other one is a trigger that has travel. So if you have one of those like little hair triggers that you just kind of lay your finger on and it goes, I mean, throw that in the trash. You know what I mean? Or if you've got one of those true fires where you have to squeeze, <laughs> squeeze, squeeze, yep. squeeze, you know, it's, they're garbage. That's you know, what I, I used they, to use the true fires. <laughs> same, same here. Yeah. I mean, it was, that's, that's, it's like, uh, you know, it, it's, it's what causes, you know, the cancer that we're calling target panic. And, you know, so what you really need is you need a release that has, um, a trigger that has no travel and a trigger that you can, um, set the tension, um, to heavy, you know, and, and you can eventually move it to lighter, but initially I sent it, I set it real heavy and I would just pull, 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 pull until it broke. And I really wanted to just drill that in to my subconscious that, that pull through motion. And that was a lot easier to do with a heavy trigger. Now, as I got, as the anticipation and the anxiety kind of went away, um, what I noticed was, okay, you know, when I started practicing, you know, at further distance and shooting on animals and stuff like that, that, that heavier trigger in a hunting situation and, and even in practice too, I would pull, pull, pull. And then I would actually increase, um, pin movement because I was pulling so hard. I had to pull so hard because the trigger was so heavy. So then I started gradually lightening it up and it still, 
it doesn't change the travel. There's still no travel. The release, you, you know, you want one of those releases that just breaks clean like glass, like a really nice rifle trigger. So I just lightened up the tension where now it's to the point where, you know, when I'm drawing on an animal and I set the, the, the pin on the vitals and I'm just letting that pin float. And when I decide it's, it's time to go, I just, I say the same thing. I'm just pull, 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 and it goes. And it doesn't take that, that real high, uh, that real high, uh, tension to, to make the release fire or that real hard pull through. It's just kind of more of a gradual gentle and then it goes. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that makes, that makes complete sense. I, that's, that's what I was wondering. Cause like when I said it real heavy at first, it was like when I started actually shooting at the target, man, I felt like I was shaking so hard trying to get it to go sometimes. And, yeah. and so I did lighten it up a little bit. It's still, it's still decently heavy, but, um, but not, uh, not ridiculous. And, and also when I switched, so I went through a few releases when I worked at an archery shop, then I started like, okay, maybe this true fire isn't for me hundred percent. I don't like that travel. I shot a spot hog, um, Oh man, I can't think of it, but it's a trigger release, but it just breaks, you know, and you can set the tension on it and I'd wrap my finger around it and that helped. That definitely helped for a little bit, but I still wasn't letting the pin float. And I think that's where my problem was in all that. And then I got the Scott Sigma and <laughs> shooting a thumb trigger for the first time was kind of like a, like starting all over. It felt like for me at least. And it took me to uh, an actual, like I had to commit to it cause I'd get like frustrated and I switched back to my trigger and that wasn't helping me any. So after uh, a, a season, like a summer of not really giving it a chance, I said, this was then moving to last year. I said, I'm shooting this thumb button and that's it. And that's all I shot. And I, but I still wasn't activating it, I guess the correct way. And now I, I have not shot that yet using, you know, proper back tension, but you have a really good video. I think it's through wired to hunt, isn't it on YouTube? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Last year, um, you know, Mark was kind of dealing with some of the same issues that you're dealing with now. Um, uh, maybe just not quite as, quite as, uh, well, you're kind of coming out of it. His didn't get quite as bad, but he noticed some things were coming up and, you know, they were kind of signs that, you know, target panic was creeping up on him. So, um, we started working together and, uh, kind of changed the way, you know, he looked at his shot process and, and we, we filmed those videos hoping that they, you know, might help some other guys out there. Yeah. And they definitely did. I mean, what was great was in those videos, I really highly recommend people to check them out after this podcast, but as far as you can see what we're talking about, like you show, you know, where you're putting your hands on, like as far as you shoot all the different releases and show how you're activating them, you know, with back tension and the the thumb button was the one I was really, you know, keying in on for me personally was watching how you were doing that. Cause there's a bunch of different methods that I've been told how to do it as far as, you know, rotating the hand and doing, letting, you know, pressure off the, the ring finger and just a whole bunch of different things. And, and the way you're kind of doing it, you kind of want to explain a little bit, you, you did uh, a little bit ago, but just explain exactly like with a thumb button trigger, how you're doing, how you're activating that the way that you are. Yeah. So basically I, you know, my process is I draw back, um, I come to anchor and, um, I, you know, 
consciously relax my shoulders, my bow hand. Um, and then I touch my nose to the string. I center my peep and my sight housing. And then I just let that pin float. When I decide it's time to shoot, when it, when I decide it's time to, you know, activate that shot execution, um, you know, my trick, my, my thumb is already loaded on the trigger. It's preloaded, not, not heavy. I'm not wrapping it around. I just kind of set it on there relaxed. You know, I don't, I don't want any like muscle tension or anything. And then what I do is I basically just start building pressure by pulling straight back. And you're by doing that, um, you know, it feels like you're just pulling your arm straight back, but by doing that, you're activating some back muscles and, and some, um, you know, your rhomboid muscles in your, your rear shoulder area. And you're just, I'm just building pressure, um, by pulling and, and, What's really happening is my thumb never moves. My thumb is being pulled into the trigger. Um, and because, because it's a, 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 like more of a gross motor movement, a big motor movement of back muscles, um, it's really hard to um, anticipate when that release is going off because you're using big muscles and you're just pulling as opposed to, you know, if I was like just squeezing my thumb, you know, uh, over time, you're going to kind of memorize that pressure that it takes to, you know, to make that release go. And that's when you start anticipating. So I just completely forgot about that way of shooting of a, of a command style release. And, and now I just, you know, I just use that pull through method and just slowly build pressure and tires. And then, you know, some guys, you know, say, well, what about with hunting, you know, on those shots where you need to make it go? And man, I've had, I've had plenty of those, you know, since then. And, you know, once you, I guess, once you master this type of shot execution, it's not hard to make it go faster. You just run your shot execution faster. You pull through a little more aggressively. Yeah. When, you know, when you don't have to make it go and that deer's out there at 30 yards and it's feeding and it's calm, you know, I run it. A little slower i run it a little more gradually so that that pin that pin movement just stays nice and steady and i'm just slowly building pressure until that shot breaks but you know you got that rutting buck chasing the doe through and you got a, a little opening and you know you you make a little grunt noise to have him stop and he's looking right at you and you know you just have you know a few seconds before he bolts that's when i run the shot execution a little more aggressively i don't i don't move my thumb. I still don't move it. I still don't slap that trigger. I just pull through a little harder. And, and, uh, because I have, you know, my trigger tension set where I'm comfortable with, and it, it's a little bit on the, on the lighter side, I guess, uh, you know, medium to light side, you know, the shot goes off pretty darn quick. Like I can make it go now when I need to make it go. Yeah. You know? Yeah, no, that makes sense. And Okay, so there, there, here comes another thing I'm, I've been, I'm thinking of, and as you're saying these things, when I got that Scott Sigma, it had a small uh, barrel on it, or the, you know, the what you're putting your thumb on, and I was wrapping my whole thumb around it, and I was like, this is too small. So I actually had someone who uh, uh, works at a machine shop build me a bigger one, and I put it on to wrap my thumb around it, and now I can see that. I could have done if I was shooting correctly and shooting the way that you're kind of talking about there. That it wouldn't have mattered. Like that small one would have been just fine because you're just putting your pressure, your thumb on it as you're pulling through. It's not 
not necessarily trying to make it fit inside the the deep part of your thumb. Is that no? So guys do it either way. You guys got to find what you're comfortable with. I don't. I want the least amount of muscle involvement in my shot process as possible. I just shoot better that way, mm-hmm. and that include that includes in my release hand. So my release hand, other than uh, you know, other than my index middle and uh, ring finger, are you know wrapped around you know, the, the handle of the release, other than those three fingers that are, you know, flexed and holding the release, the rest of my hand is like, it's soft, you know, there's no, there's no tension there. And I just, I just lay that, that thumb right on there, relaxed tense. You know, if I wrap it around, that means I'm, that means I'm, I'm using some muscle there in my, in my thumb muscle to, to, to hold that there. And, um, I just try to eliminate as much of, my involvement in the shot process as possible. Okay. No, that makes, that makes sense. And, uh, so when you, when you're pulling through, you're not, you're not moving any other parts of your fingers. Those are staying there. It's all with the back muscles and how you're pulling through. It's just, it's just an all, yeah, it's just a, a pull through motion. Now I will say this once you, um, gosh, I don't even know if I want to say this because, it might it might give people the wrong impression, but I, I, I'll say it. Once you kind of master this type of shot execution where there's no anticipation and there's no timing and there's no anxiety, you can, uh, just, like a, just like a sniper, squeeze the trigger fast when it's on the spot. It's slowly build pressure. It's a slow, steady squeeze until that really nice rifle trigger breaks because the same type of deal they're trying to they're trying to get an unanticipated shot they don't want to screw up the shot they're trying to just let the gun shoot so you can shoot that way as long as you're thinking about your shot process in terms of letting the pin float and once you start your shot execution um once you start it it's going you're not going to start stop start stop it's so if you, you can, some people do do this, they just slowly build pressure by squeeze, 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 moving their finger. Mm-hmm. But now I can go back and do that if I want, if I wanted to, and I'm not, I'm not having any anticipation because I already know the shot, ex- the proper shot execution is just to let the pin float. And once I start my, my execution, it just runs smoothly from start to finish. There's never a time where it's going to stop. Okay. Once I decide, you know, um, so you can't, there, there's some guys out there that can do that, but I, I'll say this. Most of the time when you start to, to execute the shot with, with a finger movement, like a slow, steady squeeze, a lot of those guys will fall back into some of the target panic issues because you are, that is more of a command style release and you're using, you know, your thumb to move or your index finger to, to trigger, to move and trigger the, um, the release. And those are really, you know, those are small, uh, small motor muscles and, and really sensitive fingers. And, um, you know, they sent, they can sense pressure a lot more than that, you know, a pull through motion where you're just dragging your thumb into, um, into the trigger. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it, it definitely does. I, I just wanted, I've heard, you know, a couple different ways of it. And I just, 
you, you explained it exactly how I was hoping that you would and, and help clarify that a little bit. So, yeah, there's, there's a couple other shot executions too. So, um, you know, with going back to the thumb trigger, it, it you got to think of it in terms. It's always un- unanticipated. Okay. That's, that's the goal. The goal isn't necessarily to pull through. The goal is to achieve an unanticipated surprise release. So some guys target, target guys, mostly they'll use something called the yield method, which is where, they draw back and they got a thumb, you know, a thumb button. They load the trigger up just like, you know, we've been talking about. And then what they do is they start to relax the hand. Mm-hmm. Okay. Instead of pulling through, they're just kind of holding static and they're more relaxing the hand. And what that does is your, when you relax your hand, the, the small muscles in your hand elongate slightly and it pulls that trigger into your thumb. Okay. Yep. But they're still, they're still achieving that unanticipated release. Okay. They're just they're just doing it by they're not doing it by pulling through aggressively. It's more of a static relaxation method. Yep. Okay. That that was the other way that I had heard, and it, some people would tell me they were activating, you know, a thumb button that way, and just was interested in. And from the sounds of it, though, if you're executing the the right you know shot process of not doing the start and stop, and you're pulling through that you know some of those minor details like that are, are more preferences if you're as long as you're doing the the rest of it the the correct way and executing it the the way that you're talking about exactly and i think i think the pull through method is i think it's easier for i think it's it's kind of easier for your average guy to grasp mm-hmm. um the re- the relaxation method is i i think a little higher level um probably more suited for target archery. I mean, you can definitely, you can definitely hunt like that. Um, and I, I can shoot like that and I can shoot like that accurately, but I, I feel much better, um, on, on game, um, having a more kind of aggressive, uh, you know, or I won't even call it aggressive, but more of a pull through, um, shot execution. Um, to me, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's more repeatable under pressure because, you know, sometimes that relaxation method when, you know, the anxiety is high and you got, you know, you know, you got a big buck, you know, at 25 yards and, you know, we're all relaxed and we're all perfectly calm shooting in the backyard in the summer and flip flops. But when you got a big buck at 25 yards and you're up in a tree stand and you're tilted slightly, like you got muscles activated that you don't even know. And it's a little harder to, uh, achieve, that or it's a little harder to execute that relaxation method at least for me in those in the in that type of situation if i was on flat ground you know shooting a feet around or something that's different but you know when you're you're kind of up there and you you know your your balance isn't always perfect and your form isn't perfect because you're you know hanging out of a, a tree stand or a saddle or you're you're on your knees spotting stalk or something i just do better with that pull through motion and i i think most guys tend to latch on to that one a little easier and it's a little easier to learn yeah and and in reality i mean that's what we're you know at least i'm sure 99 percent of the listeners of this podcast are we're, we're doing this to be, become better hunters and be able to apply that to hunting you know rather than just target archery so i think that's a really good point and i'm glad you kind of covered that yeah yep yeah so it's um it's it's something like I said I'm I'm excited going through this. It's definitely been stressful, <laughs> you know, to 
relearn it seems like everything but i'm ready to make shooting fun again and be more confident when i pull back and i put the pin on and i decide to execute the shot that i know that my arrow is going to go where i want it to and yeah and confidence is everything absolutely and you know another another uh a note about this this way of um shooting it's a much more relaxing way to shoot because you're kind of you're kind of like relinquishing your control over the shot okay you're you're relinquishing your control of the pin you got you're accepting the fact that this pin's moving it doesn't matter that it's moving so i'm just going to run my shot execution and i know as long as i make a good shot execution my arrow's going to be it's going to end up in a good spot. So I think if guys can focus on their shot execution, focus what's happening on their person, on their body and, and running that perfect shot execution, don't worry about the arrow. Don't worry about what your pin's doing. Just make a good shot, make a, make a shot. That's, you know, that's a, a, a 10 out of 10 and, and your arrow is going to find its mark. Okay. That that's going to take care of itself. Focus on, the shot execution and making that perfect, not hitting perfectly in the bullseye. Cause that'll come. Yeah. And I mean, and think about it. We, we only have so many opportunities in a year, sometimes only one or two, you know, and, and making that count. I think we owe it to ourselves to, to, you know, do our due, due diligence, excuse me. And, and learn this, this method. Cause like I said, I, I struggled with it in the past and when it came down to, you know, animals and I, you know, I'd have really good streaks like you did and it could be, and I was felt like I was on top of the world with it, but I still wasn't doing it correctly. And, you know, it could break down at at certain moments. I don't want that to happen. Yeah. And, you know, like I, uh, I used to do um like these diy profiles for uh, wired to hunt where i would kind of i don't know just kind of seek out uh, maybe some of the, the the better diy type hunters you know from across the country and um you know this is uh, uh when i when i look at when i look at hunters um you know there's usually there's usually you know three things that are keeping them from, you know, the success they want. It's usually like one, one or a combination of, of these two things. And, and one of them is shooting. And, you know, out of those, those DIY guys, you know, like more times than not, those guys just, they execute when they get the opportunity. Um, those, those, those guys that I was interviewing, you know, they're, they're just legitimate killers. And when they get those opportunities, you know, the vast majority of the time they're, they're making it, making it count. And, uh, what I see, you know, looking at other guys, um, that maybe aren't achieving the success that they want. Um, it, it seems like one of the things is, is just converting on animals. Like I know a lot of guys that, um, you know, get a lot of opportunities at big bucks, but they don't consistently come home with them. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're doing a lot of things, right. Um, but that, that the shot, the part of the, the part of making that shot and putting it into the deer's vitals is, is the, is the 
the part that's a hiccup for them. And I think a lot of times it's because of issues that are related to target panic. Um, and you know, you know, like I said before, it's, it's those high pressure situations where those tend to rear their ugly, you know, target panic tends to, you know, rear its ugly head. I mean, how many times have you, you've heard guys say like, you know, you might say where, you know, well, where was the pin when you shot? Like, I don't know. You know, I just, I, I rushed the shot. I rushed the shot. Well, yeah, you, they punched the trigger. They did a drive by, they rushed the shot. They weren't in control of their shot. Um, so, you know, I used to have those, those same feelings. Like, I don't know where the arrow hit. I, I, I know it hit him. I heard it hit him. You know, the, the, the pin was behind the shoulder, but I really didn't know. Well, now, now when I make those shots, I know because I'm just letting the pin float and it's always kind of just staying in this small area and in the shot, you know, when I, when the shot breaks, you know, that's where it goes. And yeah, there's going to be those times where the animal moves and, you know, that's, that's out of our control, but the shot, the shot should always be in control. And I think for a lot of guys out there that where that's a hiccup, uh, you know, the, the, the executing of the shot and, and you know, getting it, getting a nice, good killing shot on the, on the animal they're hunting. I think a lot of guys out there, that's, that's one of the big keys that's keeping them from the consistent, consistent success that they're looking for. Yeah. And, and you know, it's what I, so I think back at a, I think it was, it was, oh, I know it was in 2015. I was, uh, I was hunting in Ohio and I was November 11th. I killed my biggest buck to date and I drove back to Pennsylvania and the last day of the season. I had the, the biggest buck that I had ever hunted. Um, he came in the last morning of the season, came in and, and kind of threw me for a loop because it was coming right in. And then it tried circling kind of downwind to me because I was calling and I was drawn back on the buck and hit an, he hit a spot where his vitals were between two trees. And I just completely had no control over. I rushed the shot and there was a little bit of misjudging on the, the yardage side of things, but that wasn't the, the majority of it. I hit low and, I'd, yeah, I basically brisket and I hit a little bit low and that killed me, you know, cause it was probably a little bit of that, you know, I, well, not probably it was when thinking back on it, that I didn't have control over the shooting. There was no pin floating. There was no nothing. I got it on there and I, you know, I punched the trigger essentially and messed up a, a shot on, you know, what some would consider a once in a lifetime buck in Pennsylvania and the deer lived, which was great. And I'd, but still, it was you know a missed opportunity, and it, like you said, it kind of sets those apart that are killers and and those that struggle with that last part. Yeah, that's the worst. I mean, like you know, killing a mature deer is is you know if you're killing a mature deer, uh, you know, semi regularly, you're you're doing something that very few hunters do. Um, you're obviously putting in a lot of work. You're obviously, obviously putting in a, you know, a ton of preparation. Um, you know, you're, you're living that life. You know, if you're, if you're putting yourself in that position regularly, um, and to have the, the shot to have everything fall apart on that part of the hunt, the part that, you know, really is, 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 that's where everything is on your shoulders. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, you're getting the opportunity. There's the, you know, luck is out the window. Now it's like, there's your opportunity. And, t- 
to, and to blow that for someone that's, you know, put in the effort and the, and the time and the preparation to put themselves in that position. That's a really, uh, it's a really awful feeling. Um, you know, um, especially when you know it's you that screwed it up. Like I can accept the fact now, as long as I make a, sh- a good shot execution, boom, once that arrow's gone, like, shoot, I'm, I'm, if I make a good shot execution, I'm completely satisfied with everything. If that, you know, if that animal tends to drop and I hit him high, you know what? That was out of my control. You know what I mean? I can accept that, but I can't accept me making the mistake. Yeah. Yep. No, that makes sense. And, and a lot of what you're doing, um, you're, you're hunting some, you know, some different States and everything and on short time frames, from what I understand. And so the opportunities are even lower at that point, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, um, and I, so I get, I get some time here. Um, I work at a school, so I don't get, uh, I don't get vacation time per se. Um, I get weekends, long weekends, um, that sort of thing, but, but I love to travel to hunt. So a lot of my hunts are short hunts. Um, you know, typically two to four days, you know, if I'm, if I'm really lucky, I'll stretch out like a five day or a four and a half day or something like that. But, uh, you know, typically they're, they're shorter hunts. So yeah, man, I have to make that shot count. Like, yeah. you know, uh, I, I hear guys say, you know, just, I just need at bats at bats, you know, basically shot opportunities. And then, you know, then that'll happen. Like, I just, I just want one, I just want one opportunity, you know? So, yeah. um, I, I have to, you know, on those short-term hunts, man, when that shot opportunity comes and it, you know, a lot of times it, it does, um, you know, I have to make that count. So it's just, it's something that I prioritize is, is, is my shooting. Um, you know, I prioritize it all year or all year long. Um, and it helps that I just, I love archery. Um, you know, I love to shoot. It's not work for me. It's not, not really practice. It's just something I really enjoy doing anyway. So that's been helpful, but you know, it's funny cause I know guys that don't shoot at all and pick their bow up, you know, a couple weeks before season and, and they're killers, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So it's that's just not me. Um, and some people are like that. That's just not me. Now, if I was going to shoot, you know, 20 yards and in, yeah, that's, that I could probably pull that off, but you know, I I'm constantly, I'm, I'm just constantly driven to try to test myself and, and, and get better in all aspects of hunting. So, you know, it's just kind of the way my mind works. I'm just not very satisfied at, at sitting still, you know, um, I just kind of, I enjoy the process of trying to improve in, in all areas of hunting. Yeah. I mean that, and it's funny, I know people that are the same way that are just straight killers that barely shoot before the season. But like you said, that's not me. And I, I guess I can't knock them because they are super successful with it, but that's a hundred percent, not me. I could not, couldn't do that one from a, uh, a skill level, I guess. And two, from the standpoint of, I just, I love, like I said, I like to shoot. I like tinkering with stuff. I like to try to see, you know, to be the the best I can be with it. And, and you know, sometimes do I overthink things? Yes. But uh, it, I guess that's just the way my mind works as well. I, I become, you know, somewhat, 
I don't know if obsessed is the right word, but you know, I, I'd really become focused on, on wanting to get better in all aspects of it and usually dive deep into two rabbit holes on, on those certain things here. So Andy, you were talking about, you know, going out of state and, and doing these short, you know, hunts that might be two to four days. How are you, are you scouting these places ahead of time? Are these completely new areas or how does that look for you? Um, it's kind of all of the above. Um, so yeah, I, I typically, I typically like to, you know, get my feet on the ground and get familiar with an area. That's, that's where I'm at my best with scouting. I'm okay. Cyber scouter and I can pick out, you know, some of the obvious stuff, but, um, I just think it's too easy to miss, uh, the little, you know, the little intricacies of, you know, a, a, a certain area or a property, um, you know, just by cyber scouting alone. Um, so I like to, if I can, you know, get out there and do my thing and, uh, and really learn, you know, really learn, um, those areas best I can. And then, you know, over time, it's like, you know, I've done, I've done a ton of these types of hunts. So like over time, you just start to learn these areas and you learn them, um, you learn them so well that you're able to, you know, revisit those, um, you know, uh, year to year. And, you know, it just seems like, uh, you know, the hunting, the, the, the obviously the better you, you learn an area, you know, you know, you, you start to be more effective, you know, on that ground. So, um, I think it's just a lot of like, you know, a lot of familiarity with the areas. Um, and I'm, I mean, I'm always constantly adding new areas cause I, I like that aspect of it too, getting thrown into a new area and starting from scratch. So it's, it's often, my season is often, um, you know, going to some old familiar areas that have been proven, um, that I'm, that I know well, and also throwing in some new areas, um, you know, because, I like that too. You know, that just keeps me, you know, I guess more like stimulated and, and, and keeps me sharp and, you know, I enjoy that part of it too. Um, but it's, it's hard to, you know, the guys ask me like, how do you consistently get it done on such a short time frame? It, it's, it's kind of hard. Um, it's kind of hard to answer that question. Um, you know, like there's certain, certain spots or certain states that I go to and areas that I found that where I found that they're, um, you know, like certain areas are effective, like certain times of the year. So like I have, you know, some spots that I know from past experience are really good for mature deer early in the season. So I'm not going to that spot during the rut. I'm going there early. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, then I have some other spots that are really good in that late October, uh, early November time frame. So, you know, I'll hit those spots, you know, during that time frame when they're historically, when they have been really good for, you know, mature deer movement, mature deer sightings, you know, or, or when mature deer are, are just using that area in general, you know, and then there's other areas that, you know, it tends to be more in that, you know, that second second week of November, uh, you know, mid November timeframe. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of timing these hunts in these areas because I've learned them so intimately. I'm, I'm timing them when they're most effective. You know, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to go to those spots where, you know, 
when the chances of me, you know, shooting a mature deer there are low, I'm going to go when they're at their highest. Um, so that's probably, you know, that's been a, a, a big part of it, um, right there. And then, um, you know, the other thing is just like, I think, you know, being able to, um, on a short term hunt, you know, you have to like be able to quickly analyze the situation in our, right. Like you, you need to figure out what's going on in that area quickly on a short term hunt and, and be able to adapt your strategy to make it work. And, you know, that might mean, you know, hunting from the ground. It might mean, you know, you're, you're in more of like a spot and stalk situation or, or still hunting, or it might be, you know, you're thinking you're going there, um, you know, on more of a rut hunt and you, you know, you checked out all these, you know, funnels and, and doe bedding areas and stuff. Um, and you get there and, and nothing's happening like the, the bucks aren't moving. So you've got to be able to quickly identify that and then switch strategies to, okay, they're not, they're not cruising yet. You know, I got to switch back, switch my taxes to, to hunting buck beds and, and, and be able to quickly, uh, you know, figure that out and quickly analyze that situation and then adapt to it. That's, that's, uh, you know, really important on a short-term hunt. Otherwise, you know, if you're, you know, you got your, you know, your spots all prepped for the rut, you go down there and, and, and the, the bucks aren't moving far from their bed. You, you know, you're sitting all day in these rut funnels and, and nothing's coming through and you, know, you just chalk it up to, okay, the deer aren't moving, you know, you gotta be able to, you gotta be able to figure that out pretty quickly. Um, you know, that, you know, maybe the, the pattern or the, you know, the stage of the, the season that you're, you're, you were expecting may not be happening right at that time frame, and you got to just be able to quickly adapt to that. Yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. I I, I think of it when, whenever I go to Ohio, that's been kind of like my out-of-state destination that I've hunted for the last, like, six years. And I, I know, like, in Pennsylvania, it seems to take me, even though it's my home state and I know it better than ever, it takes me longer to to kill a deer here. When I go to Ohio, I know I'm normally on, like, a weekend time frame or something along those lines or right when our season ends because Pennsylvania, we close after the second weekend in November and I'll go there and only have, you know, a couple days left of vacation that I hurry up and try to get it done. And I think I'm more aggressive in that stance and I've been more successful out of state. And I think a lot of it came to that, you know, well, I think a lot of it too is, you know, I'll check these areas out in the spring or from past knowledge and have ideas in my head, but I'll check those spots and just kind of move until either I find hot sign or, or like you said, if something's not moving, when I hunt Ohio, typically it's the middle to later part of November and you can either be getting good rut movement then, or you could be getting bad and, and you really, it definitely is changing tactics up a lot and not. I, I don't know. That's just my opinion on it. Sounds like you have a little bit of a similar, uh, yeah. side with that. Yes, definitely. On you know, on a short term hunt, I'm, I'm more, I have a more aggressive approach. You know, I'm, I'm looking, you know, let's say I'm, uh, you know, if I go into, uh, uh, a, a new area, um, you know, I'm looking for the, the best of the best spots. You know, if I find a spot that looks pretty good and there's a couple, you know, 
you know, maybe a couple things that, that look good in that area. I might completely walk by that. I'm looking for those spots that just have everything going for them. Um, you know, that just kind of, I don't know, you get almost get like a feeling, um, you know, I'm, I'm a big feel type hunter. I'm, I, I, I base a lot of my decisions on just my feeling and, and what I, I've described this to people. Like, I think when you've been at it, like for a long time and you kind of have the, a certain mindset, like, you know, you try things and you make mistakes, right? You make, we've all make tons and tons of mistakes. And, and over time, if you have that mindset of, I want to do better. I want to eliminate these mistakes and I want to try, you know, try something different to, to improve. I think over time, like you kind of almost like develop like this, this instinct, right? You develop this instinct of the right decision that needs to be made in that situation. And it, it takes a long time to develop, but like sometimes I, and I have heard other hunters say this too. You just get that, you get this feeling that you should move or you get this feeling that you shouldn't go any further, or you get this feeling that this is the right spot. Yeah. And I think all that is, is a, it's a, your, your brain is kind of recalling a lot of your past experiences of what has worked and what hasn't. And then you're, you're, it's kind of, it's kind of a, an instinctual feeling that you get. And I think over time, the more you learn to trust that, um, it tends to be right. Like I tend to make these decisions and it seems like every year that goes by, like my decisions are right more often. You know what I mean? My mistakes are less and I'm making the right move more and more, which, which is leading to more and more consistent success, you know? And, and, uh, I really trust that, that feeling and that instinctual, that, that gut feeling on those short-term hunts. And, you know, I know what I'm looking for and, um, you know, I, I, I look for those spots that are just kind of, that give me that feeling. And it, it could be the abundance of sign. Um, you know, it could be just, you know, covering a lot of ground till, you know, I see a deer and, and, and I might have to, uh, you know, switch up tactics and, and say, okay, you know, I'm not even gonna, I'm not even gonna sit on a tree stand for this deer. I'm gonna, uh, he's in a spot where I think I can sneak up and, and shoot him in his bed or, or get within 40 yards and, and wait and hunt him from the ground when he, when he gets out of, you know, when he starts moving. So it's just these, these feelings of, of what the, the decision that, that, uh, where you have to make a decision of what's the right call. You know what I mean? And, and before I used to go back and forth and like, Oh, what do I do? What do I do? And now it's just like, whatever feels like is the, the decision that comes into my mind first. I just, I just run with it. And it more times than not, it seems like now it works out for me. Yeah. It's, it's funny. I, I learned something like that, you know, from my dad and he, I, I remember a specific hunt and it was back in 2005, there was this buck at the, at the time in Pennsylvania. I mean, now Pennsylvania is growing some bigger deer and older age class at the time. This deer was, you know, really one of a kind. And, and it was, he figured it was living in this, this clear cut. It was thick. It was nasty. And he'd have pictures of it outside of it, you know, that, uh, at nighttime on scrapes and everything and he was hunting and wasn't having any luck. There's no trees to hunt inside the clear cut. So he's like, he goes, I just had a feeling he was in this area and he went into the clear cut on ground and hiked the logging roads and got aggressive with calling and, and grunting and kind of snapping sticks and pretend like he was a deer coming into that bedroom. And that buck got up out of his bed and came charging in and shot him at 10 yards 
um, off, yeah. off the ground that way. And it's just, it's kind of, you know, something that it's not a, a lot of people would do anything like that, but it has worked out. And I've been trying to take those type of things from him and from others like yourself that have success with, uh, you know, kind of changing it up and, and moving a little bit. And I, I think that is definitely a, can play a role in it. And, and I'm sure with experience and everything, those things come to others and, and not even just experience, but being able to recognize those things and be able to apply them. Yeah, for sure. And I always tell guys too, I always advise guys to, to be aggressive because when you, when you push the limits, you, you learn what you can get away with and what you can't. Okay. You're going to, you're going to screw up. You're going to blow some hunts, but it goes back to that, that instinct and that feeling you, you, you develop that by, uh, making mistakes, right. By finding out what didn't work or what you should have done or what you could have done. That's how though, that's how those feelings and that instinct develops. So I always tell guys to be aggressive because when you are, and it works, that's great. You learn that that situation called for aggressive. When you, when you are aggressive and you blow it, okay, now, you know, next time you're faced with that situation, the play is actually to be more patient, but you wouldn't know that, uh, you know, you, you might not know that if you were always timid and you always were patient and you always wanted to, you know, necessarily let the deer come to you. Um, you know, and, and also, like you said, different tactics. Like I, I want to be, you know, my goal as a hunter is to be effective in, in all styles. Um, you know, I want to be, I want to know how to use a decoy effectively. And so I, I hunt with decoys a lot. I want to be able to spot and stalk when I see a, a deer bedded. And, and I think, you know, if, if that, if I think that's the play, I want to have confidence that, you know, I can do that. So I've been trying to do that more lately. Um, you know, in areas where you can kind of gl- glass up deer or see them, you know, when they're, you know, out in some like CRP or something, or, you know, I want to be more effective on the ground because sometimes that's the play. A lot of times these mature deer, they're not even living in areas where there's trees to get up in. So I've been doing a lot of still hunting, you know, through the thick and through the bedding areas with my bow and just sneaking and moving with the wind and, uh, you know, kind of working my way into these bedding areas and hunting from the ground. And, and I've, I've, I've had, uh, numerous, uh, encounters that way, several shot opportunities, and I'm already stacking up kills doing that. So, you know, I, I, I tell guys to try that stuff because you don't really learn and grow unless you're pushing the limits. You got to push the limits and, and that's how you learn the boundaries and, and that's how you learn you know, what will work in those types of situations when you encounter them in the future. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and, uh, obviously, uh, your, your success shows that that has worked for you. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I, you know, and, and it's fun. Like, you know, who wants to, who wants to, you know, plant a food plot and, and sit on the edge of the food plot all season. Like, I mean, how boring is that? Like I, <laughs> I, you know, I want to, I want to get in there and mix it up, you know? And, and when the situation calls for an audible or an out of the box type tactic, I want to be able to recognize it and implement it right then and there. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, I don't want to be second guessing like, Oh, is this what I need to do? Or I'm not very good at this or I'll probably blow them out. No, I want to, I want to have the confidence. Like this is what needs to be done. This is the, this is what's going to happen. And, and, you know, we're going to give this a go. And, you know, of course it doesn't work every time. I mean, you know, I screw up, you know, just as much as anybody. And I could write a book on all the times I've screwed up and, and the mistakes I've made, but it just seems like the more you, you push the limits and the more aggressive you are, as long as you have the mindset of learning and trying to get better and trying to eliminate mistakes, that that's how you improve. You know, that's how you can get more encounters with mature deer. And that's how you grow. You can grow as a hunter. You know, the guy that leases out the primo property in, uh, you know, in Southern Illinois and, and plants a few food plots and he's, you know, hunting out of his, his muddy box blind, that guy's not getting any better. I mean, yeah, he's stacking up some nice deer, but he, he paid a pretty penny for it. But, you know, you throw him on, the, you know, in the mountains of Pennsylvania, what's he going to do? Mm-hmm. You know, I want to be effective anywhere I hunt. And that's just me. And that's just a goal of mine as a hunter. And that's not everybody's goal and nor should it be. But, you know, if it is, if it, if your goal is to improve, which, you know, a lot of these guys listening to podcasts, they listen to podcasts to gain information to improve. Yeah. If that's your goal, then, uh, you know, maybe you should be, you know, thinking about things along, you know, along these lines a little bit. Yeah, no, I I I agree, and that that's that's one thing with me. I've grown up hunting the the big woods type of um, environment, and I try I want to learn different stuff. So like even and there's a lot of variations even in say what I would consider big woods or unbroken timber for the most part. There's areas that I hunt that are relatively flat that are in there, and this year I've kind of I've moved focus to hunting some really steep terrain because I want to see how they use that train to move and i want to see if i'm able to you know figure that out and do a little different where they're betting out on these points it's a little bit more you can i guess you can uh figure out their betting a little easier than in some of the areas that don't have the terrain in the in the timber and just like i i just like messing around with it i've i, I tried my luck hunting swamps and i haven't i haven't not killed a buck yet in swamps i was hunting some swamps in ohio and uh in pennsylvania that that's one of those things that are on my list that i want to do and i want to figure out if i can you know do that just to grow as a hunter and and hopefully you know by the time my hunting career comes to an end you know know that that i can hunt them really anywhere and that's just it's a it's a goal that's maybe one that you never meet but you always work towards it you know yeah, for sure. Like, uh, like I said, I go back to some areas that are familiar that I know well, but if I'm being honest with myself, I'm, I'm most excited and I'm most invigorated and I'm, 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 I'm most in my element when I'm in a, a brand new area mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, kind of on the fly and you're, you're learning from scratch. That's, that's what I really like. And, and this, these out West, you know, adventures that I've been taking, have really, you know, hit that home, uh, you know, to me that, that, that's what I really like. And, and I'm not the hunter that needs to be hunting, you know, 170 inch deer every year or, you know, 340 inch elk, you know, I, I'm not that guy. I'm looking for a mature animal always, but if you put some, you know, some, some good bucks in my area, um, 
you know, and kind of let me loose, you know, I'm, I'm perfectly happy with that. You know, I don't, I don't need to draw any premium tags or anything. When I went to Wyoming, you know, it was a region that takes zero points and, you know, 150 inch mule deer is, is a pretty darn good mule deer in that area. And I was happy as can be, you know what I mean? It was yeah. just a new, new area, new challenge had to figure it out. And, uh, you know, I, I had some luck. I killed, uh, you know, one of the biggest bucks we saw on the whole trip. So it's, I'm, I, I don't need to be, you know, hunting the biggest trophies in the world, but I'm, I'm with you. I want to be effective wherever I go. And ultimately I just want new experiences, you know, I'll be testing myself. Yeah. And I think that's why I've been drawn to elk hunting so much is because I have not been able to be successful in it and it drives me nuts. Like I just, I, I want to learn it so bad and want to get better at it. And, 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 you know, the same thing with whitetails I've, and like you said, I do the same thing. I hunt areas that I'll hunt years and years. I, d- I do mix that into my season, but I love hunting new spots as well. And it's just, I don't know. It's just, I always like seeing what's over the next ridge, you know, sort of speak. I like, I like that excitement of it. Yeah, absolutely, man. Definitely. Well, cool. Andy, uh, I think uh, I think we have a bunch of other stuff I'd love to talk to you about, but for this podcast, I think uh, I think that's about enough. What do you think? Sounds good, dude. It was fun. Yeah, man. I I really appreciate one you reaching out and offering up your help. Um, you know, as far as your experience going through Target Panic, that I could not be more grateful for that. So thank you, and and two for talking a little bit about whitetails here and and everything else and you did say you're going on your first elk hunt this year so i'm i'm super pumped for you to get to experience that yeah me too i've been uh i've actually you know been preparing for this hunt for about two years and uh you know i'm trying to be the best elk hunter i can be before ever elk hunting so (laughs) we'll see how that goes i know it's uh it's gonna be a, a a tough challenge but um i'm really looking forward to it and I also wanted to say to like, if any of your listeners, like I've had tons and tons of messages about target panic and, and things like that, the guys going through it and, and I'm happy to help any of those guys. So they can, you know, reach out to me on like Instagram. I don't get on Facebook a ton, but you know, it, it, I'm more than happy to, to chat with guys when I have some free time about this stuff, because I know what it was like going through it. And, uh, you know, like I said, I had some, some key guys, you know, take the time to help me through it. So, you know, if I can pay it forward, I'm happy to do it. Awesome. Where can people find you on Instagram? What is your uh, handle on there? I think it's bow hunting dad. It's bad. I should know it, but I think it's B O W H U N T I N dad. Okay. Gotcha. I'm sure. And I'm sure if they search your name, they'd be able to find it as well, but I'll put it in the show link. So if anybody wants to, to check out your stuff, which I highly encourage that, you know, look in the show notes and I'll have that there as well as some links to Andy stuff through wired to hunt. Perfect, man. Thank you. Yeah. So thanks for coming on Andy and, uh, good luck getting ready for your elk season and whitetails. Yeah. You too, buddy. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.